If you have your Bibles this morning, open over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to be in verse 10. And uh, while you're turning there, you can follow along with us on the Version app. Uh, just kind of want to talk about where we've been over the last few weeks, because this morning we are uh, wrapping up this series we've been going through called uh, From Death to Life. And we've been going through, over the past three weeks, the book of Ephesians. And uh, Paul's been laying a lot of important stuff uh, down for us to see. In chapter 1, he talks about the fact that Creator God, the God who hung the stars in the sky, the, the God who put everything into existence, He cared so much for us that He would choose us to be adopted into sonship how amazing that is that we can be adopted into the family of god and he accomplishes accomplishes this through his son coming and living and dying on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins but he doesn't stay in the grave he is risen and because of that we find salvation in him and we see that we are marked with the holy spirit in this holy spirit marking in our life it's like a a promissory note it's like an earnest uh an earnest money thing when you buy a house something like it says uh seal saying that you have this eternal future you have promise of eternal life and in chapter two paul lays down the truth in regards to us we were dead in our sins we were separated from god and there was no hope for us on our own we cannot bring ourselves to god when we are dead and separated from him no it was going to take god coming in uh, intervening in our life and we see that he does this because of his love and his mercy he pours down grace in our life he pours down his grace in our life and you see this grace that gives us forgiveness this is nothing that we can do you can't work for it you can't uh man if i just do enough righteous and good things i can earn this no this is from god this is a gift from god nothing that we can do to bring ourselves back to him when we are separated no this was all because of god's grace and we see in the same section that we are God's workmanship. We are his craft. We are his creation. And we are created to do good works, to serve him, to serve others. That is what we have been called to do. People should see that we have been saved in the way that we love on others, the way that we serve others, the way we make others more important than ourselves and how we give and how we love that is what we are called to. And in chapter 3 of Ephesians, we see Paul lay down this really beautiful prayer. And he prays this prayer for the Ephesians, but as we read through the prayer, we saw that, man, these are things that we should be praying for in our everyday life. He prays for the Ephesians that they would have God's power in their lives through the Holy Spirit, that God would deliver His power to them and He would use the Spirit to do that. And we should pray that. Right? We should want the Spirit working and moving in our lives, being the, the conduit for God's power, right? Him uh, giving His power through the Spirit in our lives. And the reason for this is so that we can have Christ dwell in our hearts. And that word uh, dwell, as we talked about, it means to settle down, to settle down in, to be settled down in our heart. It's that idea of to settle down somewhere, to make yourself at home. 
And the problem is our heart is so filled with so many other things, so many sins, so many uh, flaws that it's hard for him to make himself at home in our hearts. And we need the Holy Spirit and God's power to help us live the way we should live so that it can clear that junk out of our hearts. And Paul asked them, hey, uh, I pray that you would understand just how big and expansive the love of Christ is. And he uses all these measurements, height, depth, length, all of these things. And all of these things fail to comprehend just how big the love of Jesus Christ is. It's bigger than any measurement that we can put on it. And it surpasses all understanding. And it makes sense, right? Because God's love sometimes, Christ's love, it just doesn't make any sense. How could he love me so much a sinner? And yet he chooses to do that. And then he, he prays, be filled to the measure with the fullness of God. And that is the attributes of God. That is God's character. And we could be filled with the attributes and the character of God in our lives. And what that means is that when people see us, they should see the attributes of God displayed through us. His character displayed through us. And if you think, man, these prayers are bold. How can I pray these and know that, that God is going to surely answer these prayers? Well, Paul says he can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Man, the things that we think there's just no way God can do, God can do even more than the things that we think he can't do. That's how big and how powerful our God is. And then... This morning we come to Ephesians 6, and I would encourage you uh, to go back and read chapter 4 and chapter 5. There's a lot of important stuff in those chapters, but this morning we're going to end by looking at one kind of final message from Paul in Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is really giving us a set of instructions and reminding us that we are in a battle. We are in a battle. And the old saying goes that when you fail to prepare, you're preparing to fail. And it does us good sometimes to remember that we are in a battle just as the people he's writing to in Ephesus are in a battle. We are in a battle against an enemy that is smart, is cunning, is crafty. And so Paul leaves us with a set of final instructions, and that this morning is what we're going to look at. What are these instructions that Paul lays out for us as we are in the midst of a battle? And so we're going to start in verses 10 through 13, and it's in verses 10 through 13 that we find our first instruction from Paul, and that is, take your stand. We are in a battle, we are at war, and so we must take our stand take our stand. And so what is it that we are taking our stand against? Well, we start in verse 10 and it says this in verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Everything that is about to follow, it all starts here. And there's this phrase he uses, be strong in the Lord. But the passive verb for this phrase in the Greek is actually be strengthened. Be strengthened and you see, we need to be strengthened. We need to be strengthened in the Lord and in His power. 
because of this battle that we are in the midst of and this fact that we have to take a stand and so we need his power. And as we'll get ready to see, he'll talk about what we need, what the conduit of that power is going to be. In verse 11, he says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He tells us that we need to put on the armor of God. Why do we need God's power? Why do we need to put on this armor? We do so because we need it to stand, to stand against the schemes of the enemy. And let's just call him who he is, the devil, Satan. That is our enemy. We need to put on the armor of God. We need God's power to take our stand against the enemy's schemes. And you see, I think the problem is, is that so often we tend to take our enemy way too lightly. A lot of times we like to try to pretend that we don't have an enemy, that there is nobody fighting against us. And we know that this is simply not the case. And I'm not saying this morning that we need to give the devil all the attention, all of our focus, all of our dwelling. We don't need to make him more famous than he is. But what I'm saying is we need to remember that we have an enemy this morning. We have an enemy He wants to see us fall. He wants to see us tripped up. He wants to see us stumble. And in order to do this, he uses a a bunch of different schemes and strategies. But they all kind of tie into a couple of main things. What are these schemes that we're talking about? Well, the first thing is, is he lies. Our enemy is a liar. He tries to lie to us, or he does lie to us, and he tries to twist our minds. We know that our enemy is a liar. John 8, 44 tells us you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He's a liar. What else does he use? He's a tempter. He tempts us. He tempts us with the things, these fleshly desires, and tells us, hey, these are the things that you want, right? These are the things that you desire, right? You should go after these things. And he manipulates. Surely he didn't say, did he? How surely God never said this, did he? He's a liar, he's a tempter, he's a manipulator. And all of these things are done to try and trip us up and put down the work that God is doing. And we can't be ignorant of these things. 2 Corinthians 2.11 tells us in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. We are not unaware of his schemes. And so we need God's power. We need to be strengthened so that we can take our stand against the enemy and his schemes. In verse 12, he says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the enemy and his army. You see, Paul makes it clear here that our battle is not a physical battle. This isn't a battle where we need to go head-to-head with somebody physically. No, this is a spiritual battle. 
And we are going up against the enemy and his minions. Warren Wiersbe says, Unlike God, Satan is not all-knowing, all-powerful, or everywhere present. Then how does he accomplish so much in so many different parts of the world? The answer is in his organized helper or helpers. And who are those? He mentions them here, Paul does. The rulers are top level of his spiritual forces. Authorities are his general forces of evil. We see the powers of this dark world. It's these cosmic powers that carry this idea that the, the battle is worldwide and evil in the heavenly realms. There is a battle going far beyond what we can see in this room this morning. There are spirits, there are angels and demons fighting all around you this morning. There are battles at play here. And all these enemies trying to attack us. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. No, our battle is against Satan and his forces. And I want to focus on something here for just a minute. This saying, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood this morning. It is a spiritual battle, but too often we have made this battle about the flesh and blood. We have. We've made this battle about flesh and blood. We spend so much time waging war against the people who share a certain ideology rather than the ideology itself. We wage war against people who disagree with what we believe in instead of waging war against the deception. We wage war against the person. We don't wage war against the deceiver. We wage war against the deceived. We've made our war too often about people. My battle is against this person in office. My battle is against this business and what they believe. No, our battle is not against people. Our battle is against those who have been deceived, or the deceiver and the deception in itself. We need to love people. We need to be Jesus and the life of people. And we wage war against the deception. We wage war against the deceiver. That is where our battle is. It is not against flesh and blood, but it is against spiritual forces. It, against, it is against the evil one and his forces. And we need to change our mindset of where our battle lies. And then this is what he says in verse 13. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Again, we're told here to put on the full armor of God and the reason we need to do this is so that we can stand against those evil schemes of the devil. When he says the evil day here, so that when the day of evil comes, what this is referring to here, it's not necessarily the end times, but really what he's talking about here is those moments, those seconds, those times when we face the attacks of the enemy. And when that time comes, when that day comes, because here is the truth. If you are a believer this morning, you are in a battle, you are in spiritual warfare, and you need to be prepared, and you need to be ready all the time, because guess what? Satan's not going to take you lightly. He's not going to say, I'm just going to leave you alone. No. He wants to trip you up. He wants to bring you down. 
And there's a word here that I really like. He says, stand. Take your stand. Notice what he doesn't say here. He doesn't say, rush headlong into battle. Rush headlong in there and attack the enemy. No, he doesn't say that. He says, take your stand. Why does he say, take your stand? Well, I think the reason he says, take your stand, is because the battle's already being fought. God is in charge of the battle. God is in control of the battle. He is fighting the battle. Our job is to take a stand. Our job is to take a stand and stand strong when all of these schemes come against us. Our job is to simply stand for Him and to stand what we know or stand for what we know is right and be prepared and ready when those things come against us. Our job is to put on that armor that represents His power and His strength and live for Him. The problem is, is too often we continue to straddle the line instead of taking a stand. We need to take a stand against this enemy. And so, that's our first instruction. Take your stand. So what does he say next? Well, in Ephesians chapter 6, 14 through 17, he tells us that we need to put on the armor of God. This is where we get to the armor. We need to put on the armor of God. This is what he says in verse 14. He says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth, buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Stop there for just a second. And, then, and before we talk about verse 14, just as a side note here, we know that at the end of this book, we see that Paul is in chains. And it's likely here that Paul would be handcuffed to a Roman soldier. Interesting. I wonder where he maybe got the idea the, to use this metaphor, the armor of, of God, while he's handcuffed to a Roman soldier. Because these things that we're getting ready to talk about are key pieces of the armor of a Roman soldier. And so we see the first thing he says here is that we need to stand firm them with a belt of truth. And so what is the first piece of armor we need to wear? And that is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. You see, the belt of a soldier was important because it holds the other parts of the armor together. Without this belt holding it on, the other pieces of armor would not fit the way that they are supposed to fit. And so you need the belt to fasten everything together. It held the other pieces of armor together. It was thick and it was sturdy. And you see, for us, the belt of truth is what holds everything together. See, the Greek word for truth is althea. And this word literally means to unhide or hiding nothing. The Hebrew word for truth is emeth. And this word means firmness, consistency, and duration. And we know that when it comes to Jesus, He is the truth. He hides nothing. He's firm. He's consistent. Jesus is for us as we know the truth. In John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But the enemy preaches the lie that, that Jesus isn't the truth. The truth is subjective and truth is different to everyone. Your truth is different than my truth, is different than his truth or her truth. We don't have the same truth and that's fine. Many try to deny that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but we must hold to what we know is true. 
And who is true? Jesus is truth. He is the standard of truth. He is the definition. He is the line in which we are to measure our, the way we live for the truth. He is the truth. And so we need to put on the belt of truth. The second piece of armor that we need to put on is the breastplate of righteousness. So he tells us, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, you see, the breastplate of a soldier it was made of metal plates or chains. And it would protect the vital body parts, heart, lungs, stomach. And for us, righteousness protects us in spiritual warfare. And where does our righteousness come from? Well, 1 Corinthians 1.30 tells us, It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Our righteousness comes from Christ. And this idea of righteousness, it's this idea of living a life of righteousness, doing what is right will help us to stand against the enemy. And so our job should be to strive for righteousness in our lives. Romans 6.13 says, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Romans 14, 7. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. One other thing to think about when it comes to righteousness. The breastplate was often important for Roman soldiers in the fact that it allowed them to identify one another in battle. When you were in battle, you wanted to be able to look and see who were fighting with you and you would be able to see that, that breastplate and you would be able to see that person is on my side in the midst of a, a big battle. When we live a righteous life, when we live the way we should, it helps us to become identifiable to the world as somebody who belongs to Him. When we live in a world that is so far the opposite direction when it comes to righteousness. When we live by righteousness, when we live the way it should, we become identifiable to the world as somebody, man, there's something different about this person. And so we put on the belt of truth, we put on the breastplate of righteousness, and then this, uh, verse 15, it says this, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The third piece of armor is feet fitted with the gospel of of peace. You see, Roman soldiers would wear sandals that had hobnails in them. Those are short, heavy-headed nails that would reinforce the soles of a shoe or a sandal or a boot. It would make it easier for them to move around and it would give them traction when they were trying to move. They needed to be ready to, to rush into battle. They needed good traction in their sandals. And so sandals were light, but these hobnails would also give them the traction they needed. And you see, just as they need shoes with good traction, we need the shoes of the gospel of peace if we are going to stand firm. And where does this peace come from? Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is a God of peace. He's a God of a lot of things, but he's also a God of peace. 
And here's the thing, as we stand firm in this battle, we need peace that comes from God. If I were to ask you this morning, on a scale of 1 to 10, where's your stress level? Right now, where is your stress level on a scale of 1 to 10? Where is your level of anxiety on a scale of 1 to 10? How anxious are you? On a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you worry about what's going to happen today or tomorrow? On a scale of 1 to 10, where is your level of doubt? If you were to be honest, there's probably a few of these. You may say 9 or 10. It feels like I'm off the scale in some of these spots, maybe, is what you're thinking this morning. You see, again, we stand against an enemy who is very crafty and he knows when to attack. And it seems that most often these times of attack come when we lack peace, when we are anxious, when we are worried, when we are struggling with stress, when our guards are down. That is when the enemy attacks. We need the peace of God in our lives. We need to wear these shoes fitted. It is the gospel of peace. So the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And then in verse 16, he gives us the next piece. He says, In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And the next piece of armor is the shield of faith. You see, Roman shields were large wooden shields covered with linen and leather, and the leather would be soaked with water, or water so that when these fiery arrows would be shot out, as soon as it would hit this shield, it would extinguish these arrows. And here's the truth. Our enemy shoots fiery arrows at us, right? Lies, thoughts that are unholy, hateful thoughts against one another, desires to sin, these are all things that are shot, at to us, are shot at us every single day. Lies, unholy thoughts, hateful thoughts, desires to sin. All these things are constantly coming at us. We need a shield. And that shield is a shield of living faith. A faith that relies on and trusts in the power of God. And we are called each and every day to live by faith. Faith, live by believing that God is going to do everything He says He's going to do, that He is taking care of everything He is saying that He will take care of. All of these things, we are to live by faith in Him each and every day. Habakkuk 2.4, see, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Romans 1.17, for the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Galatians 3.11, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. A real faith, a faith that relies on God and his word is what is needed if we are to stand against the enemy. We need to live by faith. One more thing about the shield. You see, shields were crafted on the edges so that the soldiers could join their shields together. 
And in doing so, they could build a wall against an opposing troop, against opposing enemies, and they could walk together with their shields together, a unified wall. Brothers and sisters, we need each other. We need each other. To help us live a life of faith, we need, we need each other. When we live by faith with one another, we build one another up. We strengthen one another and we form a wall that is impenetrable. But we need to live by faith. In verse 17, he gives us the next part. He says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So this next piece of armor, he says, is the helmet of salvation. See, the helmet's an important piece of armor for a soldier. It protects their head, stones, hand weapons, projectiles, fists. A hit to the head could mean disaster for a soldier. And so they would not wear the helmet the whole time. It would be hot. It would be uncomfortable. But in those moments when they knew they would need them, they would put them on to protect their head. And we need the helmet of salvation. A helmet that reminds us of that salvation that we have been given. And here's the thing. We have a blessed assurance given to us in salvation. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Don't put your fear in people. Put your fear in the God who could easily send you to hell if he wanted to. But guess what? He chooses to love us. He chooses to adopt us into sonship, as Paul says in chapter 1. We have blessed assurance in Jesus Christ that when we give our life to him, we're saved. We're saved. And you see, salvation, it's not just a one-time act done in the past or, or just a future promise. It's a present thing as well. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We are being saved even now through the work on the cross. Even in this moment, we are being saved because we sin constantly, right? We stumble constantly. We are still being saved in this moment. 1 Corinthians 1.18 tells us, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The problem is this. Too often, we are not thinking about this. We're not thinking about the fact that we have been saved. And, and he tries to make us doubt. He tries to make us feel like, uh, man, are you really sure you want to believe in this? Are you really sure that you want to give your life to this? And he wants to trip us up. You see, it's the helmet of salvation that allows us to follow the words of 2 Corinthians 10.5, which says, We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. When we put on the helmet of salvation, it allows us to renew our minds and set our eyes on things above. And when we do that, we remember that the battle has already been won, and we can put our hope in Him. And so we need the helmet of salvation. And then he gives us the last piece of armor here. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. You see, this last piece of armor, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, it's very interesting. If you notice, all the previous pieces of armor, they're more defensive in nature, right? The shield, the breastplate, 
the belt, all of these things are more of a defensive use. But yet here we see this is the offensive weapon that we need. A Roman soldier would use a short blade sword. It would be used for close combats. And we have a similar weapon to help us stand against the enemy. We see that this is the sword of the Spirit, meaning that this was given to us by the Spirit. And this sword is the Word of God, and it is sharp, and it is able to pierce to the heart. Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitude of the heart. You see, in order to stand against the enemy, we need to know the Word We need to know the word. But I'm going to say something and you may disagree, but I think it's true. Too often today, we as a church, we are so biblically illiterate that we have no idea what's in here. We have no idea what's in the word. We have no idea what it says. We have no idea what God promises in here. We have no idea what the word says. And yet too often we're saying, God, where are you? Why don't you reveal yourself? Why don't you speak up? And everything is right here in his word, but we just don't read it. We have our phones that has every single Bible translation you can think of readily available at your fingertips. Bibles are affordable. We have them all the time, all over the place. And yet we never read it. And we wonder why we stumble and fall so often. How in the world can we stand against our enemy if we don't know what God's word says? And why do we need to know the word of God? Well, Jesus gives us the best example in scripture of why we need to read his word and why we need to know the word. This is what happens in Matthew 4, 1 through 11. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. What did Jesus do right there? He went to the Word. It says this in the Word. It says this in the Word. It says this in the Word. Every temptation that Satan threw at him, Jesus countered. It says in the Word. We need to be in the Word. I remember when I was at Ozark, a professor in one of our classes, we were, it was a class on interpretation. And he put up these slides and he goes, Sometimes you can tell how people read the Bible if you read church signs. And he goes, here's an example. And he showed a sign from a church. And on big letters on the the kiosk outside on the sign out in front of the church, it said, this will all be yours if you bow down and worship me. I wonder if they read who said that in, in the scripture. 
See, we need to be in the Word. We need to know the Word. We need to study the Word. We cannot be illiterate when it comes to being in the Gospel. One of my favorite things about D-Zone on Wednesday nights is that we are challenging students to not just hear the Word, but to recite the Word and to memorize the Word. And it's just not one little verse. It's No, they're memorizing chunks of Scripture on Wednesday night, and they're coming up here, and they're excited to say it, and they're saying it word for word. They're reading out. They're not reading it. They'll read it, and then they'll study it, and they'll say it without looking at the Word. And they're, they're getting the Word ingrained in their head and in their hearts. We need to do the same thing. We need to be in the Word. We need to be memorizing the Word. And you may say, I can't memorize Scripture, but here's the thing. We can memorize song lyrics. You could probably sing me every word to one of your favorite songs right now. Are we taking the time to memorize His Word? And so we need to put on the armor of God. The the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, have our feet fitted with the gospel of peace. We need the shield of faith. We need the helmet of truth. We need the word of God, the sword of the Spirit. And so, what's the next instruction that Paul gives us? Well, in verses 18 through 20, Paul gives us this next instruction. He says, pray, pray. And that's simply what it is. We need to pray. And this is what it says in verses 18 through 20. It says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. You see, one of the most important things in a battle is communication. Soldiers communicate with their leaders, and those leaders communicate with their leaders. Communication is key when you're in battle, when you're at war. Why should it be any different for us? We need to be in prayer, constantly connecting with the Father. That gives us the energy that we need to put on this armor and wear this armor that we are called to wear. And so here's the first thing we do. We start by praying in the Spirit. When you don't know what to pray for, when we don't know what to pray for, we lean on the Spirit because the Spirit helps us pray. Romans 8, 26-27, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the minds of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So we start by praying through the Spirit. And when do we do this? Well, we do this on all occasions at all times. On all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Philippians 4.6 tells us this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. At all times, on all occasions, whatever is happening in your life, you pray. And then from there, you pray for all the Lord's people. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. We pray for all people. 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, 
for kings and for all those in authority that we may live peacefully our peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. We pray for all people, God's people, all other people, people who do not yet believe. We pray for those people as well. You pray for your leaders. You pray for those who are in authority, whether you agree with them or you don't. You pray for them. We pray for all people in all situations through the Spirit. And then Paul ends this section by asking for a personal request. He seeks the words he needs to speak without fear, and that will reveal or that he will be able to reveal the mystery of the gospel, that he may declare it fearlessly, and that he would do all this while he was in chains, proclaiming the gospel until the day he died. And guess what? That's what he did. Every day he proclaimed the gospel until the day he died. And I want to add something to your prayer list this morning. We pray for a lot of different things and a lot of different people. But here's something I'd like to add. I'd like to have you add to your list. Pray for those who share the gospel. Pray for those who share the gospel. Pray for those who teach and who preach. Pray for those who minister for the gospel, that they would speak the truth with boldness and without fear. No matter the situation, no matter where, they at, or where they're at, pray for missionaries as they proclaim the gospel message and the gospel truth. Pray for people who teach at churches and in, in schools. Pray for these people who share the gospel. It is not an easy task. It's not. And so, take your stand. Take your stand against the enemy's schemes. Put on the armor of God. That is where we find the power to stand. We must wear the armor of God and be ready. And pray. Pray for all people through the Spirit on all occasions. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as the worship team comes up, I'm going to remind you again, we have an enemy. We have an enemy who wants to see us stumble and fall. And you see, the enemy knows he's lost. The enemy already knows he's lost. He knows that the battle is over. On the cross, the battle was won. He already knows that he has lost. But guess what? He is going to try and trip up and take down as many people as possible. He's not going to go quietly. And so for this reason, we must take up our armor and we must stand. And maybe you're here this morning, but you have yet to join the fight, the battle. You have yet to give your life to Him. And let me tell you this morning, it is worth giving your life to Him. We were dead in our sins, separated from Him, and through His love, through the death on the cross, through His resurrection, we have been brought to Him. While we were still dead, Jesus sent His Son, and it is by grace that we have been saved. And this morning, you can... Receive that grace. If you haven't given your life to Him, it is worth it. And the enemy may tell you that, man, the world is so much better. The promises He offers are so much better than what God could possibly give you. But here's the thing about the enemy. He's a liar. And the enemy promises things that he cannot deliver on. And guess what? If you are following His promises, you are going to be just left led astray over and over and over again. 
maybe you're here this morning and you're giving your life to him and if you have it's time to take a stand it's time to take a stand we have an enemy and he wants to see us stumble so we need to take our stand stand for him stand for truth stand for righteousness stand for faith stand for the things that we are called to stand for put on that armor pray for others Find joy and hope knowing that the battle has already been won. Maybe you're here this morning and you've given your life to him, but you have not put on that armor. Maybe you have been sitting on the fence. If that's the case this morning, maybe you just need to lay these things at his feet. I'd love to to pray with you, love to talk with you if you have a decision to make. But this morning... I want to encourage you, put on the armor of God and take your stand and pray for one another, strengthen one another, love one another, and put these pieces of armor on so that we can live the way we are called to live. This morning, if you have a decision to make, I pray that you do so as we stand and we sing.